Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. This episode is generously sponsored by RedCrow, a niche crowdsourcing platform helping to connect investors with innovative healthcare and emerging medical companies. RedCrow's mission is to break down the barriers between investors and startups, and RedCrow believes that the smartest person in the crowd is the crowd. RedCrow is a growing niche investment community comprised of new and experienced investors, successful entrepreneurs, and industry experts who can effectively drive success and fuel impact. Invest in what you know. Visit redcrow.com slash happiness to invest in healthcare startups or to raise funds with the help of industry experts at redcrow.com slash happiness. All securities advertised on the Redcrow website are offered and sold through Jumpstart Securities, a non-affiliated broker dealer. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish egotistical or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. All righty then. Today we're talking about glory to the gut, the importance of internal fitness for your self-care and happiness. There's a lot in the media these days about taking care of our digestive system, and there's good sound medical reasons why. My first guest is going to tell us, Dr. Erica Ebel-Angel is the CEO and co-founder of Excella a biotechnology startup company aimed at developing tests and personalized dietary and lifestyle interventions to improve gut microbiome efficacy and health. Dr. Ebel Engel holds a PhD in biochemistry from Boston University School of Medicine. She is a member of the MIT Visiting Committee for the Dean of Undergraduate Education and part of the Advisory Council for the Dean for the School of Engineering also at MIT. And I'm really excited to have this conversation because I I am a firm believer in this second brain. Welcome, Dr. Erica Ebel-Angel. Thank you so much for having me. Let's talk a little bit about gut health and the importance of it in maintaining wellness internally 
and externally. Sure, you bet. So there's a, a growing um, amount of evidence that is suggesting that gut health uh, plays a really important role, not only to uh, just the, the, the health of your digestive system, but uh, other systems' health. And that if you have, uh, you know, poor uh, poor gut health, that it could affect a whole variety of other systems, that it could be a risk factor for a whole variety of different types of diseases from the neurodegenerative diseases to autoimmune diseases, um, you know, more sort of typical conditions like acid reflux and IBS, um, heart disease, diabetes, uh, emotional disturbances, uh, the list goes on and on. And so given the fact that there appears to be this very uh, strong link and correlation coming out in these this, this, these myriads of different uh, research, research studies, uh, I think it's a very important area that uh, you know, hasn't been given a lot of attention and is emerging and uh, is, a, is a great uh, kind of area of science to be in right now. And necessity is the mother of invention for you, right? You got busy with your research because your health needed attention. Absolutely. You know, I, um, I suffer from some of these conditions. I've had IBS ever since my, uh, my early college days uh, and have watched and seen a lot of people over, over the last decade of my life struggle with uh, everything from digestive disorders to really strange uh, gastrointestinal distress that, you know, wasn't able to be specifically diagnosed as any um, you know, disease or condition, and yet, you know, people are massively uh, uncomfortable. And um, it's, it's something where, you know, you can't sit down with any individual in, and say, well, do you know someone who has a GI issue? And I would guarantee you that, that they would say, yeah, you know, either myself or at least three people that I know. And it's, um, you know, to some extent, we very much care you know, here at Excella about addressing you know, population-based need science. And again, you know, how many people are, are disturbed by food sensitivities or food allergies or, or IBS? It's, you know, tens of millions of people in this country alone. And so it's a very important area for us, both personally and you know, from a business perspective. And when we talk about what makes Excella different, um, it's my understanding, and I'm about to get to experience um, the reasons why, but I'd love for you to tell our listeners. Sure. Um, you know, there are a variety of different tests, you know, on the market today. Um, you'll, you'll find them. Predominantly, the, the major categories in the stool sample analysis space, um, you know, our, our test is a, a pinprick blood test. So for starters, it's, e it's easier to collect the sample. It's cleaner. I don't know if you've ever had to collect the stool sample, but it's uh, not particularly the most exciting experience. Yes, Erica, I have. No, I, I, I kind of joke here at the, at the office that I will never look at the, um, little kind of the plate that, you know, when you go to a carnival and they give you like the plate of French fries, it comes in a very similar type basket that you end up having to collect your stool sample in. So never go to a carnival and buy French fries and look at that in the same way again. <laughs> but, um, you know, you it's it's easier, right? So a very small pinprick blood sample, you can do that from the comfort of your own home. Um, and ultimately, what we're measuring is actually very different. So when you take a stool sample, what you're actually measuring are the, the types of bacteria that are present in that sample. Now, first, one challenge is with sampling itself, 
comes uh, variability. So many of these companies have been challenged because depending on where you sample from in the stool sample, you could actually end up with a very different result. Um, and then when you think about it, the, you know, the function of the small intestine versus the large intestine are actually very, very different. Um, you're not, and many of the things that we're, you're interested in actually reside in the small intestine. Um, they don't come out, right, in a stool sample. They're not supposed to. Uh, whereas a very different sort of set of functionality happens in the large intestine. And then, you know, some of those things also reside in the, in, in the large intestine and don't come out. So you're not actually getting a fully comprehensive look at what is there. And then, you know, this sort of challenge with um, sample variability. So in our case, rather than just measuring the specific types of species, you know, you have X number of lactobacillus or Y number of bifido uh, bacillus, we're actually measuring the output of the specific bacterial species. So many of these bacteria spit out into the, uh, into your, you know, into your blood, um, different compounds that are important for a variety of different systems functions. So what we're actually measuring are those compounds. And thus, you know, it's not just, okay, you have X amount of this type of bacteria, but you're saying, all right, are those bacteria actually doing the right thing? thing in your body. And thus, it's actually more actionable that, you know, that you can, you can go and you can make modifications. You know, if these compounds are too high or too low, you can provide dietary and lifestyle um, or supplementation suggestions for ways to uh, affect that output. So I think, you know, with traditional stool samples, it's a lot more difficult to say, well, you know, okay, you have 8 billion of these bacteria. Well, now what do I do? What do I do to, to get 9 billion? Or do I even need 9 billion, right? Because to some extent, that link isn't fully understood. So rather than that, if you're measuring the output uh, of those bacteria, and you know, all right, I, I need a certain amount of serotonin, well, you can go in and actually do something about that. Let me ask you a couple of questions about that, because with the blood sure. sample, you're, you're actually getting a picture of what the actual system, how the actual system is performing, right? What's really Correct. going on in our body versus just the output that you would have on a conventional sample. And then once you yeah. have an assessment of what, what your blood, what your body is actually doing, then you make recommendations um, on several levels, right? It's not just um, uh, diet or exercise, but it also is supplementation and the kinds of supplementations that would be recommended for the individual. That's right. So, you know, the, the supplements, sometimes people, uh, you know, you can't, depending on how low their levels are or how high, um, you can't just make these modifications through dietary suggestion alone. Sometimes people need a little bit of a kickstart. So, you know, you provide supplements often for people who are in the lowest quintile of some of these metabolites. Um, but, and that's enough then to get things going where they can, you know, follow up with a, with diet. But, you know, for example, one of the compounds that we measure, um, you know, is, is actually found in chickpeas and in hummus. Uh, but you'd have to eat 16 containers of hummus probably to be able to <laughs> have an effect. Oh, oh my. You might, you might have other problems. Um, so, you know, again, it's really important to, uh, it's very specific. It's custom tailored. And, you know, the, the idea is how do you make it as simple for the user as possible? Uh, and, you know, if you don't need to take the supplement, we don't give it to you. 
because ultimately supplements are, you know, they're drugs, right? So if you don't need it, um, you shouldn't be taking it. Uh, But if you do, then you'll know exactly which ones you need. And uh, we ultimately retest every other month if you're in the program so we can follow and track whether or not it's actually having an impact and, uh, you know, make tweaks along the way should that be necessary. What you just said is very interesting to me because it seems to me that by testing every other month or just having the ability as the consumer to take care of our bodies without a doctor's prescription, you know, going direct to get the test, I think is very, very powerful. I think ultimately it reduces costs, you know, and gives us some sense of um, uh, control over our lives, right? Dominion over what's going on. It does. I mean, I, we always encourage people once they have their test results to go, you know, and have a conversation with their doctor about it. Um, you know, I have a very sort of open-minded physician who is interested uh, in gut health and, and overall systems health. Uh, and so, she, you know, she is, is very much a believer in the holistic approach. And so, um, you know, sometimes it's possible for her to say, oh, all right, this is out of whack and, and maybe we should run these other tests or whatever else. So I, I would definitely encourage people to speak with their physicians, you know, show them the results. By no means are we trying to, to bypass that process or say that, that, you know, we're somehow better or whatever else. But I do think it allows uh, those who are really interested in tweaking their their healthcare and you know hey I've all my life I've been eating oatmeal and for whatever reason you know it's not doing what I needed to do and then you find out or I've been drinking coffee my whole life and oh you find out you're actually you know just oversaturated with some of the compounds that are found there and you you know by pulling that out of your diet you can actually make yourself a lot happier so I think there there are definitely ways that this test benefits the end user uh, in, immediately and um, can help to guide people to make more informed healthcare decisions. I also do recommend, you know, just for the sake of, of, um, you know, for the sake of full benefit to go and have a conversation and show the results to your doctor. Well, I I agree that, you know, your doctor is a healthcare provider, part of a a team that we as the consumer or the patient hire to support our self-care, right? Like we're ultimately the customer and ultimately responsible for our own health and well-being. Correct. Exactly. We are going to take a break, but before we do, I want to bring up one subject. You touched upon that magic mental health buzzword of serotonin. And when we come back after the break, I'd love to talk with you more about that connection, the the gut connection to our mental health and what the Excella test can pick up on that might be helpful in us supporting better mental health. To learn more, please visit Excella.com, on Twitter at Excella Wellness, and on Facebook, that contact page is also Excella Wellness. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back, and that's a promise. Harvesting Happiness has been compensated by Excella as an objective health and wellness influencer. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, 
I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if. Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about glory to the gut. How internal fitness makes the difference on our mood, on our health, on a whole host of other things. My guest today is Dr. Erica Ebel Angle. She is the CEO and co-founder of Excella, a biotechnology startup company aimed at developing test and personalized dietary and lifestyle interventions to improve gut microbiome efficacy and health. Erica, before the break, we were talking about the uniqueness of the Excella test, um, what it offers in terms of simplicity. And you mentioned the buzzword serotonin, which got my ears warm and its impact on mental health. Yeah, it's, it's an easy one. Uh, it's a word that a lot of folks, um, you know, are, are, are aware of. Um, one thing they may not be aware of, however, is the major- majority of serotonin that is generated in the body actually is synthesized and comes from the gut. Uh, so it's not just uh, a brain a compound found in the brain, it is, um, it is generated in the gut. So what I hear you saying is if we're not, um, having a good diet, if our, our, um, uh, gastrointestinal system is not working properly, that we could perhaps have a higher incidency of depression as well as other mood issues. You bet. That is absolutely correct. This is really important because it really does speak to you are what you eat. And if you're eating a lot of fast food or you're maintaining a diet that's not right for your body type, you could run into trouble. Right. And I mean, considering the importance of the brain gut connection and the brain gut access, which there's more and more research coming about, about the interrelatedness of these two different systems. Um, You know, if your gut is damaged, if you have you know, conditions like leaky gut where, you know, you've got specifically holes um, that are formed that allow the escape of uh, food into your, into your uh, body cavity, incidents of allergies um, and other, you know, just uh, the list goes on and on. But if, if there is a problem with the integrity of the gut, a whole variety of different problems cascade from that. Isn't that most of the population? It seems to be. (laughs) 
You know, it's it's interesting because you know the lifestyles that we that we lead um, are essentially kind of pushing us in that direction. You know, we are exposed every day to different types of petrochemicals from the plastics that that we use to the facial creams to the detergents to I mean again it's it's very difficult to live a life where you're completely you'd you know you'd have to go completely off grid and like live in a tent out in Canada somewhere which which isn't practical but uh, it's very difficult to avoid exposure to these different chemicals to antibiotics again you know sometimes you need them but antibiotics they kill bad bacteria but they're they often will kill a lot of good bacteria uh, as well when when they're doing their job um, and it's it's caused damage to the gut. Many of the foods that we eat are processed foods filled with chemicals. And, you know, think about all the different antibiotics that animals are treated with. Well, when you eat the tissue uh, from those animals, you know, there's a chance that you're also consuming those antibiotics. And of course, that can go and affect your, you and your gut and your system's health. So it's um, kind of a general truth that we as a society have offended in a variety of different ways. And so we have to go back and figure out ways to assess the, the extent of damage and then be able to uh, fix it. And the good news from what I glean is that once we have awareness of what's going on in the gut and we make those dietary adjustments and lifestyle adjustments, and in some cases, um, supplement adjustments, that we can heal. You can. It, it does take time. Um, there is, you know, no magic, no magic pill, no magic bullet to to solve it. Um, it requires making changes, and you know, I'd say, um, you know, we've we've noticed that it probably takes uh, at least three to six months to start seeing real you know, change in the blood work. Um, but it is absolutely possible to do things to to bring back the health of the gut. And when we talk about diet, I think one of the areas that I find very interesting, and this is just being a social observer, is that the amount of uh, caffeine and energy drinks that we take on a daily basis, and in fact, are unable to function without them on multiple levels, right? You know, in terms of mental fog, or even um, our, our, our plumbing, not being able to work without them. How does that impact gut health? Well, I think, I mean, again, it, it's going to be on a person-to-person -person, you know, basis. Some people are more susceptible to some of these drinks and habits and their adverse effect. I know in my case, um, I become extremely jittery with caffeine. Um, it activates me in a variety of bad ways. It, it exacerbates the um, IBS condition because caffeine increases peristalsis. Um, so it's it's definitely a kind of a red flag. And that being said, you know, it was something that I was drinking quite a lot of because, you know, we live, we live busy lives and, and, uh, you know, it's the, the 4 PM slump. You need to yep. do something to keep yourself awake, but have to figure out other ways of doing it. And, um, you know, there are suggestions, different food types, um, you know, different ways of eating that are more appropriate for me. And, and you just have to become more aware of what works for you. And, and sometimes that's trial and error, but sometimes that actually is guided by science. For the 4 p.m. slump or the post-lunch food coma, what do you yes. suggest? What, what, what should we be doing? It's a, it's a great question. I mean, I, 
to some extent, you know, I actually just get up out of my seat. Um, and when I can, you know, just you take a walk, you go outside, breathe some air, take 10 minutes to sit, meditate. Um, you know, I think, again, it's very dependent on the individual. I find, you know, I go through my day often where I will sit from 9 a.m. till 4 or 5 p.m., never getting up, never drinking any water. You don't even go to the bathroom. You Then you miss lunch. Yep. So, you know, it's being mindful of the fact that, you know, you weren't designed to sit in front of a computer for eight hours in a hunched over position without, um, you know, without moving, without breathing, without stretching, without, without all these different things. So, you know, it's, it's, and that's an actual change, right. To be, to, to remind yourself that you need to get up and take a 10 minute walk or breathe or, or, you know, go and, and eat rather than eating a candy bar, you know, have fruit on hand and, and have that instead or, or whatever else. But I think it's, the first step is just realizing that you are in this sort of perpetual path over and over again, where, you know, what do you expect to have happen if you just sit in the same place for eight hours without yeah. moving? Right. What? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, what other, um, what other things does the Excella test reveal? Sure. So when you send in the blood sample, there are 12 different molecules that we measure. Um, these actually, it's, a, it's an interesting story of how uh, we, we found them. So over the course of my co-founder's uh, career, and he's in his mid-70s and has been uh, working in the space um, for you know, literally the last, let's say, 50 years, um, and has a very extensive track record working with organizations like Duke and Harvard and Mayo. We've done work with NASA, with, with biotech companies like Pfizer. Um, as we looked across the various research studies that we've been a part of, and in 30 to 40,000 different samples that we've processed, um, you know, one of the things that we saw across, you know, the neurodegenerative disease family, diabetes, ischemic heart, uh, heart disease, um, depression, uh, et cetera, the list goes on. Uh, were these same compounds kept coming up over and over again as being statistically relevant in both separating disease versus control patients, in describing the disease state, in, de in describing the risk for getting the diseases, and again, just kept coming up over and over and over again. And then as we took a step back and we said, well, what are these 12 molecules? Well, you know, guess what? They were all either directly secreted by bacteria in the gut or were regulated by bacteria in the gut. So we became a gut microbiome company. Um, so we measure these compounds and they're very important, not only for gut health, but also for other systems health. And so, you know, we, when you take the test, you get a score back for your overall internal fitness, but you also get uh, five different scores for your GI health, your emotional health, your immune system health, uh, your cognitive acuity and your ener energetic efficiency. And so you have these different scores and then there are specific recommendations. You know, if you have a, a low score in one area for ways that you can improve, uh, you know, improve your numbers through diet, lifestyle and supplementation. And the supplements that Excella uh, recommends, are they compounded for the individual or are they um, just a prescription from a, a, a host of offerings on the site? Uh, they are, they are, I would say, quasi-personalized. Um, it's impossible for us to generate a single pill um, for every person. We don't have the ability to do that. However, 
Um, what we've tried to do is combine things together so that instead of having to take three different pills, if you have a low energetic efficiency score, you would just take one. So it is, we are trying to make it as personalized, uh, you know, as possible. Now, we actually, we tell you what you need. So even if you don't sign up for the program and you decide you want to go do it on your own, you could happily go to Whole Foods or GNC or whatever other supplement provider you want, and you can buy these things on your own. Well, I, I can't wait to get the results back from my test, and I'm going to share um, my experience on the air and through social media, so stand by for that. We've run out of time. Dr. Erica Ebel-Angle of Excella, thank you for joining us on the show. For our listeners, please visit Excella.com. You can connect on Twitter at Excella Wellness, and on Facebook, that page is also Excella Wellness. And I'm Erica, I'm so excited to see you the company grow and expand and to get the word out that people can take charge of their health through, through lifestyle and just very simple choices and interventions. Absolutely. You just have to, you know, decide that you're going to go for it and, uh, but it's absolutely doable. And you'll be happier because of it. Completely. Yeah. That's the good news. You know, we're talking so seriously about this, but this is good, good fun to be able to um, make these changes and see the results occur after time. So stand by, we'll share more and here come the tunes. We'll be right back. That's a promise. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at harvestinghappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, it's free, it's legal, it's available 24-7. And we're talking today about glory to the gut, internal fitness, and the impact of it to our overall health and well-being. My guest now is Dr. Emron Mayer. He is a professor in the Department of Medicine 
Physiology and Psychiatry at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. He's also the Executive Director of the G. Oppenheimer Center for Neurobiology of Stress and Resilience and co-director of The Cure, Digestive Diseases Research Center at UCLA. Dr. Mayer is a world-renowned gastroenterologist and neuroscientist with 35 years of experience in the study of clinical and neurobiological aspects of how the digestive system and the nervous system interact in health and disease. And I want to give another interesting fact about Dr. Mayer that I absolutely love. Throughout his career, both in his research and clinical practice, Mayer has pursued a Buddhist philosophy of interconnectedness, balance, and compassion. Welcome back, Dr. Mayer. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks, Lisa. Nice to be back. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Today, we're also talking about your book, The Mind-Gut Connection, How the Hidden Conversation Within Our Bodies Impacts Our Mood, Our Choices, and Our Overall Health. Let's talk a little bit about what interested you in this area of medicine. It's a long story. I just give you the uh, short version. Um, I've always been interested in that. Actually, the reason I went into medicine um, in how the body and the mind uh, interact, and um, I have pursued this first in um, in uh, studying the, in the during my thesis, studying the connection between the brain and the heart, um, and later really shifted the focus on the digestive system on a gastrointestinal tract and the mind-gut connection. And I know it was the right uh, choice to go that direction because when the microbiome came on the scene, that um, the brain-gut microbiome connection or interactions became a very hot topic. Um, and um, I'm glad I'm at the forefront of this. I am too. And talk a little bit about when that happened because it actually was not that long ago. It was not very long ago. It was uh, the microbiome um, revolution, I would say, really was driven by technology, the uh, computing power and the affordability of doing what's called sequencing or identifying um, hundreds of thousands of, um, of, of genes and gene expression profiles, uh, which allowed us basically to, for the first time, to identify, characterize the uh, 100 trillion microbes, invisible microbes that live in our gut that were not before seen under the microscope or uh, were not, um, wasn't able to culture them. Uh, but now with these techniques, uh, we are able to do it and it's getting cheaper by the year. That means that these analysis techniques can be applied even in the clinic. Um, and this will continue to 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 drive the interest and the science uh, that looks into this up to now hidden universe inside of us. And just to give some perspective, was this in the late 80s, roughly? Um, it really became a hot topic, I would say, in the last 10 years or so. Um, I can still really well remember um, Jeff Gordon, who is one of the pioneers, I could almost say the, the father of this, of, of this science, um, when he first published a study, um, it was related to obesity um, and my own area of interest. So the connections between the brain, the, the central nervous system and the gut, that really um, took off even less, you know, a few years back. Um, I would say probably 
you know, between ten and between seven and ten years ago, uh, people st- started to study this uh, in mice uh, originally, um, and then um, you know this has progressed into studies in in humans and some very exciting things going on today. Well, the reason I asked back in the eighties is I uh, in the I think is mid to late eighties I had a bout of chronic fatigue and I went to my conventional internist who was telling me about Helicobacter pylori. And he says, there's this all this new research that's being done with this connection of what's going on in the gut. And, oh, you're going to see this is going to be responsible for so much of our health. And I thought, I didn't think he was crazy. I thought he was out there and he, and he was on to something. And I, that's when I became aware of how important it is for this internal fitness aspect of ourselves. Yeah, and um, that is so. The H. pylori story is 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 quite interesting because um, so I was <coughs> I was a junior faculty member at the time and was working at the um, at the Cure um, Institute here at UCLA, um, which was all focused on uh, identifying the causes and developing better treatment for peptic ulcer disease. And for a long time, um, the investigators, premier investigators at that center. Um, ignored the uh, emerging signs about H. pylori um, that, uh, you know, started to happen at at the time. It it wasn't really viewed as sort of the microbiome science. I mean, H. pylori was something that in some ways came came out of the blue, you know, that uh, nobody suspected that a disease that many of us had thought and had pursued in research was a um, either some chemical or food-related or, for my, speaking for myself, a, a brain-stomach problem that under stress you would develop these ulcers. When Barry Marshall f- first published these self-experiments that he ingested, um, H. pylori con- containing um, um, you know, food and developed an ulcer, that, that was really revolutionary. But it was not I wouldn't say this was officially recognized as a starting point because that was an organism that um, that could be seen under the microscope, that, that could be cultured, um, that was much more visible than, you know, the hundred trillions of organisms and viruses and fungi that um, are now at the center of the microbiome science. But you could say it was probably the, you could call it the, 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 the first beginning of that. I think... Uh... For me, it brought attention to an area of self-care that I never paid attention to prior. You know, that what I was eating, that lifestyle were indeed um, uh, very powerful tools to uh, maintaining health or, or, or getting my health back. Let's talk a little bit about um, the optimal diet that's good for the gut and good for the brain. Well, um let me start out with saying that the our, our digestive system is is a a universal, uh, highly adaptable, almost like a turbine. A turbine you can you can put everything in it. The main goal is survival for the species. So, um, in the course of evolution of humans, you know um, humans have ingested just about everything um, to to stay alive. So it's a highly adaptable system. Um, that um, you know can can burn both um, plant products, can um, uh, animal derived products, uh, or a combination of those. Um, 
if we think about today where the survival is no longer for a lot of people, I mean, unfortunately, it's still for some and in different parts of the world, but for the majority of people is no longer the main um, challenge for for us humans. Um, we can sort of look at this, what is the optimal diet and what if it's the optimal diet for our GI tract um, and for our microbes living there, uh, then probably that is also optimal for the rest of the body, including the the, the brain. And um, there's there's no question in my mind if you, there's um, so much converging um, epidemiological science and um, and uh, you know nutritional research that points towards a largely plant-based diet. Um, as the the optimal diet for 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 humans, so I say largely plant based, not vegan, because um, a small amount of um, of fish and poultry is is clearly uh, definitely the fish is is definitely beneficial for us, um, but the largely plant based as it is in the uh, traditional the original Mediterranean diet from that was characterized in the sixties in Greece, Italy, Spain. Um, which is somewhat different from today's Mediterranean diet, which has been much more, um, you know, gone in the direction of the the Western, the, in the North American diet. Um, but the, the the traditional Mediterranean diet is is clearly um, an example um, that um, provides health benefits in in children, um, preventing the development of obesity in adults, slowing the uh, pro progress of cognitive decline um, in patients with a risk for cancer that um, uh, decreases the risk of, of, of developing cancer. Um, it's, it's, it's a remarkable um, body of evidence that supports the health benefits of that diet. And what's unique about it? Um, when we say largely plant-based, that means um, sufficient amounts of um, plant-based fiber, these undigestible components of the of, of plants, that is the ultimate food for um, for our microbes. It's the richness in healthy molecules, these um, um, uh, polyphenols, for example, in olives and berries, um, in red wine. And um, it's the absence of a high, a large amount of animal-based fat. Um, so we have both the epidemiological data, but also the, the biochemical um, reason, uh, or the scientific reason why that is beneficial for, for our gut, its microbes, and, um, and our brain. We are going to need to take a break, and when we come back, we will continue the conversation with Dr. Emron Mayer about his new book, The Mind-Gut Connection, How the Hidden Conversation Within Our Bodies Impacts Our Mood, Our Choices, and Our Overall Health. To learn more, please visit emronmayer.com, on Twitter at Emron Mayer, and on Facebook, Emron A. Mayer. And I believe the Twitter is also Emron A. Mayer. Yes, it is. Yes. Yes. All right. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back, and that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break.
Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. We're continuing the conversation with Dr. Emron Mayer about his new book, The Mind-Gut Connection, How the Hidden Conversation Within Our Bodies Impacts Our Mood, Our Choices, and Our Overall Health. So, Dr. Mayer, prior to the break, you were highlighting the, the basic elements in the Mediterranean diet. I just want to recap that before we move on in the discussion. Yeah, so... Um when we say largely plant-based, and I should say, you know, traditional Mediterranean diet, you could say the same thing about traditional Asian diets, like the Japanese, Okinawan, um, um, China. It's a very similar principle, which also, I think, points towards the fact that humans um, have um, maintained a, a sort of similar approach to um, if there's enough food available to select the, 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 the food items that are best for them. The um, largely plant-based important because um, the Western diet has kind of almost eliminated fiber um, from from our diet. So the recommended uh, amount per day is 20 grams. Our hunter-gatherer ancestors consumed up to it's estimated about 100 grams, um, and most people are consuming about 10 grams a day. So if you stick to the largely plant-based diet, you will ingest enough um, undigestible fibers, which is the ultimate food for our microbes, fostering the diversity and abundance of the microorganism and decreasing the likelihood of developing this low-grade inflammation, um, the leaky gut, and all the uh, sequelae that come from that. So... Um, so the fiber, a very important component. A second one, probably equally component, uh, 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 equally important, um, fruits, particularly berries, um, olives, um, and um, red grapes, uh, red wine, containing these large molecules, um, which is sort of the, pharmaco, uh, the pharmacy of, of plants, these so-called polyphenols, a very interesting group of, um, of, of molecules that the, the plants use to their own defense and to the protection of their own health. But <clears throat> when, when we ingest them, 
um, then then they they provide a major health benefit for us as well, protective against um, against cancer, against uh, degenerative brain diseases, a whole range of um, um, problems, health problems. When we talk about um, your area of research and what you're focusing on now, um, you're really looking at the interaction of this gut microbiome with emotional regulation, chronic visceral pain, and also in obesity. Talk a little bit about that because that may surprise some of the listeners that how the gut health is impacting or imp- can impact mental health. Well, this starts really with the realization, as I point out in my book, that the, the gut is not just a digestive organ uh, that you know we don't really want to think about to associate with. Um, you know, it's 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 the organ you, you normally would not want to think about, and particularly not in terms of in the connection with positive emotions like happiness or well-being. Um, but in reality, the gut is a major sensory organ that identifies um, molecules, signaling molecules that come from, come from our diet, um, which then generate signals in terms of hormones that the gut releases, of immune signals, um, and of nerve signals, particularly through the vagus nerve, that all can reach the central nervous system, the the brain, particularly emotional, emotional regulation areas, and um, influence the 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 function of emotional circuits within our brain. This has been studied primarily in in studies in in, in laboratory studies in mice, uh, and the, the 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 results are quite intriguing. Um, but there's also data, partly from our own group, um, that the ingestion, for example, of probiotics um, have a significant effect on emotion regulation systems uh, within the brain. I personally think the reason it's not as easily demos- um, as, as easy to demonstrate in humans, I mean, human brain is a very complex organ um, that is obviously much more sophisticated than the mouse brain. Uh, so therefore, there's more influences in addition to the gut signals that regulate our our emotion. So it's, I always say comparing um, um, an HP calculator from 25 years ago with uh, the IBM Watts, the, the IBM Watson supercomputer, <laughs> uh, the latter being our human brain. So, um, but the gut and its microbes still play. We know that. Um, a significant regulatory or modulatory influence on the brain and our and in our background emotions. And if you work the other way around, what I really hear you saying is that excessive stress and anxiety, um, which are processed in the brain and felt in the body, um, leads to sickness. Um, very important concept. And you know, coming back to what we talked about, the H. pylori in the past. So if you if you take stress hormones like norepinephrine, and you have a culture dish with H. pylori organisms, if you add the stress hormone to that culture dish, the organism will be more aggressive um, and will express genes that have to do with what we call virulence or aggressiveness towards the host. So the connection between stress and ulcer disease that was well established. Um, has as an intermediate the role of stress on 
the H. pylori organism, which then attacks the stomach lining. And there's now a growing evidence of studies that have shown that norepinephrine modulates most microorganisms in that live in the gut, uh, both the good ones, but also um, pathogens, you know, if you develop a gastroenteritis, making these organisms um, more aggressive towards us, towards the gut and, you know, towards the host. Um, so if you if you're stressed, not only does the number uh, of certain species in your gut go down, um, but also it it will change the behavior of, of individual microbes. And what we know from other studies is it also increases the leakiness. So negative emotions, stress have a multitude of, of effects that um, make the interactions between the microbes inside of us and and our gut and our health um, um, much less favorable. And what about the impact of lifestyle? You know that it's diet is just one part of the equation. Um, and in order to reduce stress and elevate emotion, we need to exercise, right? We need to engage in activities that uh, bring pleasure. We need to exercise empathy, compassion, kindness, you know, for ourselves and others. And this plays a very important role. Um, absolutely. Um, as you know, in, in, in medicine, I mean, the, f the funding for our research comes from the National Institute of Health, and they are really interested in disease. So the, the research into the positive emotions and the optimal health um, um, has, has really happened to a very, very small percentage of the overall research effort. So we know much less about it. There's a few exceptions to that. Um, but um, we, we can assume that, you know, because all the negative emotions have a, a significant negative effect on, on the microbes and all the consequences, you know, for our, for our body. Uh, so we can assume that um, positive mind states such as equanimity, calmness, compassion will have a, a, a positive effect. So that's sort of my working hypothesis. We don't have the numbers, but I'm sure they will come out sooner or later um, that this uh, is, is a beneficial effect and that it involves the microbes um, as, as, a, as a mediator. Well, and, and I just want to go back to stress for a minute because we're almost out of time and that means you'll have to come back, which makes me very happy. But Robert Sapolsky's book uh, many years ago was, I think it was, uh, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. And and I think it was, it's a very funny title for a book, but there was something very, there are a lot of interesting things that he wrote in the book about sort of the zebra culture, right? That zebras can come under th significant threat, but then they just sort of go back to their 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 pack and there is no recall that it seems of the the threat that they just witnessed and i hope i'm describing that right maybe you can help me here yeah no that's a good description yeah and, uh, and what is that about the about memory that's different in humans yeah memory in particular the the encoding of of negative events and the um the the, the biasing of our brain, which is really a, a prediction machine. I always like to say that, you know, just like a self-driving car, our brain predicts um, for the immediate future, for the more distant future, what the brain thinks um, is going to happen. So if you have the negative experiences, the trauma, the, the post-traumatic stress, 
then the, the system gets biased and it will always estimate that things are more likely to get bad um, and they get worse than somebody else would think. So this has been called catastrophizing or a negative, <laughs> a, a negative prediction bias is a very, um, I mean, obviously at some point now, uh, evolution, it was a positive thing because it protected us from, from future damage. But a lot of people have that as a chronic condition. And so the bad thing doesn't really have to happen to you. You're already worried uh, many people, particularly with anxiety um, disorders or elevated anxiety, their brain always is concerned or worried what's going to happen in the future. And it's not just the brain in isolation, but it will send these signals to the gut and does all these things we talked about before um, on the microbes and then what the microbes talk back to us. So, yeah, the memory, a great thing to have for us. We couldn't function without it. Um, but in terms of um, biased emotional memories um, can become a, a um, um, an, an, un, an unhealthy um, mechanism in our modern society. We have to go. I want to just thank you again for being with me. The book, once again, by Dr. Emron Mayer is The Mind-Gut Connection. Uh, to learn more, please visit his website at emronmayer.com, on Twitter at Emron A. Mayer, and on Facebook, Emron A. Mayer. Thank you, Dr. Mayer, for sharing uh, uh, only a little bit of what's in this fantastic book about ways to harness the power of the mind-gut connection to take charge of our health and listen to the innate wisdom of our beautiful bodies. Thank you for being with me. Thanks, Lisa. It was a pleasure talking to you. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my amazing guest today, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Toginet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.